This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Manchester's indie rock and roll station Access Manchester The Access Manchester Long Player An iconic album in full With Jim Salverson Access Manchester Hello, I'm Jim and this is The Excess Long Player Conversations about classic albums with the people who helped make them Today's album, a hugely popular choice around Manchester where I live And where Excess Manchester is based And rightly so as well Today we talk Cortina's St Jude with producer Stephen Street. Now this was a debut album of huge proportions that despite regularly being listed as one of the best debut albums ever in lists that come out nowadays, at the time it was released got pretty sniffy reviews from the likes of NME. It feels like a fairly contemporary work, but it actually came out 13 years and six albums ago, back in 2008 for the Cortinas. But for many fans of the band, it's still considered their finest work. And it is an album that is full of massive tunes. If you're not massively familiar with the Cortinas St. Jude, maybe you've not listened to the whole thing in a while, you might want to go and rediscover that album. Go and listen to the whole thing right the way through before you listen to this interview with Stephen Street. You can find a link to the album in the podcast description here. But let's get stuck into it, shall we? facts and stories and insight all about the Cortina St Jude with producer Stephen Street. This is the Excess Long Player. So today on Excess Manchester for the Long Player where we revisit classic albums in full we are looking at a album that is massively special to a lot of people in Manchester. Cortina's debut album St Jude and to talk us through that album the producer Stephen Street. How are you doing Stephen? Very well, thank you. This is now, I mean, this album is now over a decade old. Obviously, there's albums that you've worked on in the past that have passed massively significant anniversaries over the years. Does this one feel like one of the more recent albums you've worked on? Yeah, it does in some way, but also the kind of the 2000s from which this album came out seemed such a long time ago. You know, it seemed to be like the the last great hurrah for guitar bands in that kind of decade, you know? And it kind of seems that, you know, with the way the the streaming and the charts and everything have gone since that it, it seems like a long time ago now but now I'm very proud of this album and um, you know it's funny when it when it first came out it seemed to be a little bit of a, a slow burner in the sense that the press weren't exactly kind of completely behind it straight away for some reason which I, I was kind of dumbfounded by but I always had faith in it and I, I know the band did too and it's proved to be uh, you know a, a kind of a, a strong part of their kind of back catalogue which I'm, I'm really proud of. Do you remember the very first time you heard anything from St Jude in its kind of em- embryonic stages? Do you remember your first reaction to hearing the tunes? 
Well, I was approached by the label to see if I, I would be interested in working with them. And they took me up to go and see the band play at a, a gig, uh, one of the unis in Manchester. So I went up to Manchester and went to this gig and I was absolutely blown away by how great they were. They were just incredible. And what was really, really evident was how much Liam's lyrics were really, mm. um, were really connecting with the audience. I mean, they were one of those bands that gained this reputation via word of mouth and via their live performances, almost in the same way Arctic Monkeys did after them. But were you conscious when you were producing the album, when you were sitting the other side of the glass, that you had to capture some of that live energy in the record you were making? Absolutely. With this particular album, I was very conscious of the fact that the energy and the power that I saw in their live set, we had to try and capture that and try and get that the essence of their live show, because for me, that was it, their strength. I mean, there was a few subtleties we tried to add with guitar overdubs and so on. I, I remember handing Conan my I had a, a really nice kind of Telecaster guitar that he, he, he kind of he really kind of got into using on that record. So we started using a little bit more kind of, you know, dare I say it, Johnny Marish type over, overdubs mm. and things, you know, but hopefully without kind of uh, blunting the, you know, the real kind of strong rhythmic uh, edge that the band had. And also the other key thing was because Liam's lyrics are so strong, you wanted to leave enough space in the mix for his lyrics to come through because he really was a wordsmith and still is. Yeah, it was just trying to get that combination of getting the power of the live thing, but also at the same time introducing some subtle subtlety so that the vocal could get over the message of each uh, each song. I guess the, a producer's task is often a bit of a thankless one. A good producer almost goes unnoticed to a certain extent. Is there a track on the album that you listen back to that makes you really proud when you hear the impact you had on that individual piece of work? I don't know. I mean, overall, I, I mean, obviously the, the challenge of making sure something that's anthemic is not 19 forever, you know, mm. which is, as you know, a huge anthem live translated to getting it on record with the same power that it's got live, but obviously kind of tidy enough, as it were, if you want to say the word tidy, so that it could get played on radio, <laughs> you know, because we all know, we're, oh, the band are great live, but if you take a recording of a band live and try and put that on radio, it's not going to go down very, very well. You know, it, it's getting the sound and the balance of it is quite difficult sometimes. And so, I, I mean, I'm very proud of what we've managed to do because that, for me, is still a main anthem. You can go to an indie disco now, someone puts that on and it still, you know, it still sounds great. But then even the subtleties, like, you know, yesterday, today and probably tomorrow, you know, even then it was kind of discussing with the band how we were going to go about doing this one. And I kind of I kind of felt the strength really was was to be as minimal as possible. And so with that one, for instance, you know, it was a case of I'm a big fan of the English Rose, which is a great track by the jam mm. on the All Mod Cons album. And for some reason, that song really reminded me of that. So I kind of said to Liam, look, let's just do this really stripped down. But I also wanted to add some atmosphere to it. So I kind of went through the internet on YouTube and found some footage of uh, Euston train station, you know, with the intercom and everything and, and the, you know, the train kind of noises and so on. And I recorded a whole bunch of that and then kind of copied and pasted the best bits to surround that track and give that sense of sadness, you know. I really felt, and mm. I really felt that worked. You, you realise, Stephen, you've just upset a whole load of Mancunians by telling them there's a London landmark, the sound effects from a London landmark on one of their favourite albums. <laughs> I think it was used to, it might not have been, it might have been Piccadilly Station, <laughs> I can't remember. I just remember trying to find, it was trying to find footage of, of the train, you know, going between London and yeah. Manchester. And I think that, you know, that really did kind of add to that kind of, the sadness of that particular song. So things like that, you know, I mean, the opposite ends of the spectrum, as it were, on the album, but they're kind of moments that I really remember fondly, you know, working 
and, and, and hopefully adding to. I'm sure this is a little bit like picking your favourite child, but when you look at the album, do you have a favourite track? Do you have a favourite song on that album? God, I don't really. I'm not, it's hard to say, really. I mean, as I say, not 19, because it still stands up as a, as a huge anthem. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Please Don't, actually, as well. Um, you know, again, that was a great thing. I mean, even a song like that, which starts off really mellow, you know, and and um, kind of slightly spectresque in some ways, you know, that kind of dum dum dum, you know, kind of rhythm kicks in. And and again, that's what struck me live is that you know their songs weren't all played at kind of like you know ninety nine miles per hour. You know, they could really, even when they were playing the slower songs, um, they could still and like how come, for instance, as well. You know, there was still a lot of energy in it. So it was capturing, that was the challenge, really. It was capturing mellowness, but at the same time, those mellow songs being powerful enough without being pumped through a huge PA system mm. so that when people listened to it, that there was still a sense of dynamic. Was that a challenge in making the album hang together as a single piece of work? The fact that it did have these different textures, it had these big anthems, but it also had this softer side as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, getting the right running order helps as well, which I think we did on, on the record. But the band were great. I mean, they were really, they were very excited, as, as all bands are when they make their debut album. But not, not only were they excited, they were tight. You know, they were, they had been playing a lot of gigs. And so they were, you know, they were in, in good shape. When it came to recording these songs, you know, we didn't really kind of have to kind of chop and change parts and move things around too much because you know um they tested these songs in front of a, of a crowd for quite a few months and so you know i think uh they're all kind of ready to go you know it's a much loved album particularly around these parts i mean we know the phenomena is cortina's inside manchester and there is love for them outside but it's nothing compared to what they get in this city what do you think yeah. makes this particular album? What makes St. Jude so special? Well, as I said, I kind of hinted at when I saw them play live at the, at the uni in Manchester, what, what amazed me was that many of these songs hadn't even been released yet, but I could hear the crowd singing along with Liam. So these songs belonged to those people already, even before we'd done the album. So I think that's where the connection is. It's such a strong kind of uh, this is our this is our band, you know, this is our band from our our town. And I think that really kind of is something that uh, helped keep keep them going initially, because, as I mentioned, you know, when it first came out, the album, I don't know, the press were a little bit sniffy about it, which I found which I was really disappointed by, you know, because I thought it was a really strong record. But it's proved itself, you know, it's proved uh, its staying power. Because, you know, it has become, as I say, regarded as a bit of a classic now. Do you think part of it was that connection with the crowd, with the audience, that Liam and the band were they were kind of on the same level? They didn't have this necessary elevated rock star status. And you had Liam, he was writing lyrics about going to the Star and Garter and all that. And basically things that people could really relate to. Again, I guess there's a comparison with the Arctic Monkeys there. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, you know, the the, the, uh, the the people in the crowd could really relate to everything that Liam was was saying. You know, the disappointments of relationships, the sometimes the boasting, look at me, see who I am. You know, Morrissey mm. with some strings. You know, it's kind of people could relate to that. You know, it, it, uh, so I think that's the great thing about this record. It's celebratory, but sometimes it's really, really sad too. There's some really good emotions that people have put through, and that's what make that's really what makes up people's lives. You've worked on some great albums and with some of the greatest artists over your career in music, The Smiths, Blur, Cranberries, New Order, Suede. It's a never-ending list. It's a who's who in music. But here's an, here's an impossible question. Where does St. Jude rank amongst those great albums? Well, it's like choosing a favourite child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, I've got to be careful what I say here. No, I mean, I, I definitely rate it as one of the uh, one of the best debut albums that I've worked on mm. of all time, definitely. It's got some uh, r- real uh, staying power, this record. It really has. You know, I'm so chuffed for them. I mean, I, I get very emotionally uh, linked in with all the bands that I, I work with. I end up trying to be, well, hope, hoping I've become a bit like a, a, a nice big brother to them, you know, <laughs> not in the 1984 sense, but in a family sense, you know. So, yeah, I, I, I get... I, I get really pretty old and not, like when you know when can i kind of read about them doing these huge shows you know was it mm. 20 or thousand people up in manchester yeah, yeah. they play too if you you know i feel incredibly proud about that i kind of feel like you know yeah well you know, i helped them get on that way and and people love the songs we've done together so I'm, I'm i'm happy with that you know i like to have done more with them to be honest with you over, over the years i actually did do one track with them a bit later a christmas uh, uh, uh song that we did together winter wonderland yeah, winter wonderland yeah sorry yeah it was that's it that's, but um yeah um they're really they're really strong they're lovely guys too that's the other great thing uh they were such a dream to work with really nice people what kind of legacy has this album left in term, with you and in terms of the bands that come to you? Do you get bands that come to you and knock on your door and say, can you make us sound like the Cortinas did on their debut album? Not really so much. I don't think bands are as obvious as that when they pick you to work with. It's like, you know, they mm. didn't come to me and say, oh, make us sound like the Smiths or make yeah, you yeah. sound like, you know, I mean, Blur or whatever. You know, I, I mean, you know, you get you'll get subtle references that you can draw on as a producer that you think, OK, that reminds me slightly of that. And, you know. Yeah, you can might suggest a couple of things that you kind of discovered having worked with Graham Coxon or Johnny Marr. You know, I mean, you kind of you, there's certain little kind of references and little kind of tricks and things that you know that you can apply. I kind of you know I think most probably now as you mentioned, I mean, my back catalogue is kind of thank thankfully <laughs> quite large now. So there's there's a whole kind of bunch of references that people can pick and hopefully like uh, mm. when they want to work with me. Now, as I say, this record, it was a real good moment, that kind of mid-2000s, kind of mid you know, when guitar bands were really coming through. As you mentioned, the Arctic Monkeys were doing great. Kaiser Chiefs, Killers. Um, you know, there were a lot of bands kind of like you know, hitting the charts and actually getting yeah. hit records, which is wonderful, which kind of sadly isn't so, so much the case anymore. Just to pick up something you said right at the start of the interview, you said that this album almost marked the last hurrah of guitar music. Do you think that is ever going to come again, or do you think the way the charts are constructed, the way people stream music. Do you think that's been the death of the, the guitar album? I don't know. It's sad. I mean, every year I keep hearing people in the business saying, oh, next year the guitar bands are going to come back again, mm. you know, and so on. And, and you keep thinking it's going to happen. Yet the charts seem to be so much geared towards that not happening, really. I mean, it's great that there's stations out there like yours still that, you know, play it. But it's, I think, really, the, the thing is, is that the streaming, the way, the way the streaming affects the charts, it's kind of to the detriment of guitar bands, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, there are some really good guitar bands out there. You know, really are. There's some great new stuff going on. Uh, and it's, it, the, you know, the scene is still very healthy. Perhaps, hopefully now, with the return of live music, it will help, you know? Perhaps people will go, I'll tell you what, we really have missed this kind of gut feeling you get mm. when you get into a, a gig with a really good band giving it all on stage. And perhaps, you know, we might see a real uplift again. Because there is some, there are some really good bands out there. Really you just well. made the hairs on my arms stand on end talking about live music. How weird's yeah. that? Uh, Stephen, fascinated to talk to you. Thank you very much. Pleasure. It's been a delight to celebrate such a classic album. So thank you very much for your time for doing it with us. Great stuff. All the best, Sam. The Access Manchester Long Player. An iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. Access Manchester. Thank you very much for listening to The Excess Long Player. Classic album conversations with the people who helped make those albums. 
There's a load more to go at in this series, so make sure you listen to the other episodes. Talking pills and thrills and belly aches, Happy Mondays, Cortina's St. Jude, Mosley Shoals, Ocean Colour Scene, Hour of the Wildebeest, Damon Goff and Kaiser Chiefs Employment. That's season one. Season two is coming soon. And if you want to get a notification as soon as that podcast series is up, click follow now and we'll send you a note as soon as season two is available. Plus, if you know someone who would love this podcast, maybe we've covered one of their favourite albums, make sure you tell your mates about it. And if you want me to do a specific album with a specific person, then why not get in touch? You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Underscore Jim Bob. But I'll see you next time for the next Excess Long Player. Manchester's indie rock and roll station, XS Manchester.